I am so tired of every intention, every path in life, every decision, even under the guise of being motivational or empowering women, having the implication that you must succeed or something is wrong with you. Hey there, y'all. Welcome to Woo Woo Bible, the podcast where we ditch the dogma so we can connect to something greater than ourselves. My name is Dylan D. Money King. I'm a spiritual life coach, board certified hypnotherapist, and lover of all things mystical, magical, and miraculous. Let's dive in. Hey there, y'all. If you're new here, well then, welcome. It's very nice to meet you. And if you're coming back, well then, welcome back. It's so nice to connect with you again. Today we are talking about one of my big loves, magic. Actually, we're talking about big magic. Technically, we're talking about big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert because this is the segment on the podcast Lit lit where we talk about you know books those uh lit books those inspirational books that kind of psych you up get you excited you know make you want to go do something cool or inspiring with your life so you may know elizabeth gilbert um as the author of eat pray love honestly i had no idea that she had even written Eat, Pray, Love, but then I picked up Big Magic and I was like, she made references to it and I was like, oh, so that's who you are. I've never uh, read or even seen the movie Eat, Pray, Love, Um, but Big Magic, because that's what we're focusing on and not Eat, Pray, Love, this book is about living a creative life. So I don't know exactly what... um, Gilbert's intention was when she sat down to write this book, what little nugget of inspiration crept into her brain to drive her to start jotting stuff down. But in all honesty, out of all the personal development, all the motivational books that I have read, and I have read a lot of them, this is probably like, I don't read a lot of fiction books. I read a lot of autobiographies, I read a lot of personal development books, a lot of spiritual books, a lot of woo-woo. She really does a sound job of giving things that are more reasonable, more inspiring, uh, more relatable than a lot of people out there might do. Uh, She really doesn't buy into the... um, the, what am I looking for? Kind of the Tony Robbins-esque culture, that hashtag boss babe, uh, which is nice to see. Um, I mean, there are moments where I think she does a better job of explaining topics like manifestation, uh, mindset, inner child healing, and other spiritual tools um, than people who literally teach on it for worth thousands of dollars and that's that's not even what she does I mean she's she's a fiction writer primarily and this book that she wrote is talking about 
creative living. Um, and I do think that's largely because this book that, that we're focusing on, Big Magic, she's looking at things through the lens of creativity. And at our core, we are designed to create. Creativity is not just painting or writing or any of the arts. It's so much more than that. So, you know, if, if you like to cook, you're creating. You like to play, pretend with your kids or, you know, somebody else's kids, uh, creating. You like to put outfits together, creating. There are so many things that are creative because we are inherently creative. And the idea that we are not allowed this like gatekeeping of creativity, the idea that we're not allowed to be creative because we don't enjoy a certain type of quote unquote defined art or that we have to be a certain level of successful in art and, you know, not just paint for fun on the weekends or, you know, go and sing karaoke totally badly is absolutely absurd. I'm going to say, you know, the, and this is in part because I read Big Magic and I had read it before. I went back and reread it because I knew I wanted to do uh, a podcast on it. And I went back and reread it. I decided to start doing some, some prompts, um, just doodling, you know, I don't know if you were that kid who doodled in the, you know, the sides of your notes in school. Um, I, for some reason, always drew Christmas lights. Um, it was just kind of simple. Um, and I was never particularly talented, not talented enough to be like an illustrator, um, or do pursue like 2d drawing professionally, but I do think it's fun. I do think those little doodles are fun and relaxing. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, that in particular and Gilbert's thoughts on that in particular a little bit later in the episode. Um, But I have been doing that uh, for the past couple of days now. And it's really, really fun um, just to kind of doodle on stuff every day. So I have like a little uh, daily topic. Um, Some of the words are really weird. They're like words that I've never even heard before, which may sound silly. because they're things, uh, they're like types of flowers. I think today's word was uh, foxgloves. So I guess if you're a gardener or you're into flowers, maybe you had heard of that, but I had to Google it and see what exactly a foxglove was um, in order to try and give it a go at drawing that. But it did get me out of my comfort zone and allow me to just draw something. Um, I would have never drawn a foxglove ever. It's not something I would have thought to do. Um, So very, very interesting. Um, Okay. (sighs) I'm going to pause. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to do my little little thing here. I'm going to tell you about a guide that I created. This is an intention-setting guide for your personal revolution. This guide is designed to support you in gaining clarity on your intentions and giving you creative techniques to invoke them, all while honoring your humanity, your trauma, and your reality. That guide is totally free, and you can download your copy with the link in the description. 
that's my little pause. And we're going to go back to big magic. So Gilbert writes this book on creativity. And um, because she's writing about creativity and because she's a writer, um, she is often referring to writing specifically, and she often cites other writers as example. But she is very clear from the beginning that creativity can't just be boiled down to art. The entire book starts by answering the question, what is creativity? And it answers it with the relationship between a human being and the mysteries of inspiration. Now she talks about how there are jewels living inside of us. And that if we live a creative life, or as she describes it, one motivated more by curiosity than by fear, we might find ourselves with a more amplified, happier, expanded, and interesting life. Now, I, I don't know about y'all, but this is exactly what I think we hear a lot in the personal development and the spiritual community when people are talking about finding that authentic self and finding that spiritual self and growing and getting that, living a more expansive life. And I think that that's really, really beautiful. I love that she is talking about these little bits through the lens of creativity. Sometimes we find that people just leave it at that. It's very vague. It's kind of a vague idea. But throughout the book, she's going to dive a little bit more deep, um, which is important. And another important thing here is that she doesn't just leave it at you just have to, you know, live more motivated by curiosity than fear, which sometimes we tend to find, you know, that faith over fear or blah, 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 all those very Pinterestable quotes. And if she just left it at that, this book would just be another one of those vague, boring, motivational books without any real substance. And I probably wouldn't be very on board. I would probably just say this, you know, take your Pinterest quotes, put them up on your wall if you want, but it's, it's really not very good. But she really talks about the reality. And the reality is that we are always going to encounter fear. Even if we learn to deal with the one thing that used to freak us out, we will always uncover something different. Some people like to talk about, like, if you address one fear, you know, if you address your fear, you'll never be afraid again. And that you have to just become fearless. And that that is, that's the answer. Just, just live your life fearless. But that's not, that's not a thing. Um, and it's also important to understand that there are deep set traumas that we are slowly working on unwinding. There are generational, there are societal, it's, it's so nuanced and so complex. And to say that, you know, this quote unquote becoming fearless is the answer is, is just a little silly. But that doesn't stop people from saying it pretty often. I, you know. And if you are saying it, that's okay. You know, if that's one of your top motivational quotes, it's totally fine. But I think that nuance is so, so, so important. So Gilbert acknowledges 
that our fear has a place. It's intended to be here. It has a purpose. It's when our fear tries to go running the show when it's not really supposed to be, that is when we've got an issue. So there's still nuance here. That's important to note. Your fear isn't popping up for no reason. If you've been through traumatic experiences, things can feel very unsafe for you. As time goes on and you're on your healing path, you do get to slowly decide what your relationship with fear looks like. So Gilbert talks about inviting her fear along for the ride, but making it very, very clear by like literally having a conversation with her fear, like a, like a dialogue, that her and her creativity will be in the driver's seat. And I think this is important. It's, it's unfair to minimize your fear or to try to stuff it away and ignore it and pretend it's not there or that it's not valid. You will need your fear in new situations to help you navigate it with discernment. It's so important to be able to listen to that that voice and say, is this okay? Am I okay with this? Am I ready for this? Or is this not something that, is this not a situation for me? But you also cannot let it limit you. And that's a very like vague term, right? We have to remember how important nuances to this conversation. You just also want to be able to experience the things that you want to experience as you are ready to experience them. And that path is going to look very different for every single person. I'm super curious if this resonates with y'all, if you've done anything like this before. I've done shadow work meditations with myself and clients before that are similar to this, where um, we connect with like a almost physical embodiment of of fear or anxiety or even anger and different, you know, personifications of these different emotions and try to build these relationships with them. And I'm super curious if you've done something this like this before um, or if you would. If you like wrote a letter to your fear, what would you write about? Slide into my DMs or shoot me an email if you feel like it. No need to share. Sometimes those things are private. But if you feel like sharing, I'd love to love to hear your thoughts on that. So another thing that Gilbert addresses is the concept of the starving artist or the suffering artist. Kind of this concept that any artist worth their salt is in constant emotional turmoil for the sake of the art. And that they put in the work as a starving artist until they are financially successful. And if they are not the best artist, then their work is meaningless. Again, even though she's talking pretty literally about art here, this is not just literally about art. Because in our culture, 
Anything that doesn't make us money or makes us seem important is seen as a waste of time. So sure, we can spend money on vacations, but was it worth it? Was it truly worth it if we didn't Instagram it to show all our friends how much money we have to afford such a luxury vacation? People constantly want you to make money off of your hobbies. And it's not a bad thing to turn your hobbies into a full-time career. Like, go you. If you, like, love making jewelry and you turn that into a small business or, you know, you are, you enjoy painting and you become, like, you sell your paintings uh, on Etsy. Like, hey, that's dope. That's so dope. But it is also okay and just as valid to like just enjoy them, to never be a professional, to never even be good, to just like still draw stuff that looks as good as like a five-year-old. Because, you know, we all have that inner child and sometimes stuff is just fun. It's just fun. It's totally, totally okay to just do something because you love it and it brings you joy. And it literally doesn't matter if it ever blossoms into something that makes you money. Would it be amazing if it did? Sure, yeah, cool. But if that's not something you want, who cares? Who cares? And so this is the point where Gilbert talks about her vows. So like I mentioned at the beginning, I had already read Big Magic a long time ago and I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good and I, I would have recommended it as, a, you know, like my list of, of reads. Um, but I, there were definitely bits that I had missed, bits that I had forgotten. Um, and I have recently taken a little side gig, uh, doing a little, you know, side work, like 15, 20 hours a week. And part of me felt really, really badly about it. Frankly, if you work as an entrepreneur, you know that the income is unstable. The You're by yourself a lot. You're stuck in the house a lot. And it's just kind of lonely. And I thought, I'm going to find something outside of the house that just brings me a little bit more something, something to my life. So I did, and that didn't that didn't stop me from feeling guilty about it. And I really thought my friends and family are gonna judge me for doing this, right? And so when I told my friends, one of them who I, I really look up to a whole lot was like, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in her book how she worked a ton of jobs um, when she was still writing and like I said, I there's tons in this book that I forgot about, even though I had read it before. Um, and that was one of the parts that I didn't really remember. So I just kind of assumed it was one of those, oh, yeah, you know, I when I was trying to make it as a writer, I worked really hard, hustled so hard doing all the crappy jobs out there so that I could do my art. Because that's usually what you read, right? That's what you read. People who talk about if you want to make your business work, if you want to make your passion work, you will be so devoted that you will get up 
at 3 a.m. and work on your business and then you'll go to your nine to five because you have to make ends meet. And that's like partially true and partially really harsh um, because it's exhausting. It's exhausting. So I had decided to reread Big Magic and actually what she's talking about here is not the concept of I worked so hard so that I could do writing professionally. What she's talking about is how she is so passionate about writing that she has devoted her entire life to it. And how her and writing, again, she's personifying writing like as a person, um, very much the way she talks about curiosity and about fear and also about inspiration in this book. She uh, very much personifies a lot of these, a lot of these big concepts. And she has made a vow with writing or to writing that she will never put the pressure on it to become her main source of income because she just wants to write. And she has these really fascinating stories of people, these other writers she has met who are so frustrated because they had quit their jobs, quit their stable jobs um, because they wanted to become writers and they had not yet seen the success that they wanted. And she really feels like, you know, I didn't quit any job even after I had written bestsellers, even when I was a very popular writer because I didn't want writing to feel like it had to take care of me. I wanted to take care of and nurture it because I loved it that much. I do love it that much. And that was such an interesting idea to me to think about these things like they are so, so passionate about. Because so often we are thinking, what do we get out of our passions? So she has this story of, I, I believe it's her uncle as one of these very people and he goes to see an author that he really, really likes. Um, and he complains how he's been writing for years with no success. He says, please do not tell me to persevere. That's what everyone says. Uh, and I'm tired of hearing that. And the writer says, no, that's insulting. And I would never tell you that. I am actually going to tell you to quit. And the entire audience is shocked because that sounds really rude, right? But the writer says, if writing is bringing you so much pain, then quit. Go do something else. Try other stuff out. And if in a few years, after not writing and doing all these other things, you figure out that nothing else fulfills you quite as much as writing, then start writing again. If we are so, so deeply passionate about something, 
it might be better to ask ourselves to provide for our passion than to demand that our passion provide for us. I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Like, what would I write a vow to? And I'm curious to know what y'all would write a vow to as well. Um, because I don't really have something tangible like writing. Um, I do many, many things. Um, so in the end, I say in the end, maybe I'll change it. I haven't written it down yet. Um, but I'm pretty sure that this is where I will settle. Um, I would make a vow to spirituality. It's what I currently do for work. But within my personal life and whatever I do end up doing as a quote-unquote job, because um, who knows, maybe my profession will change. It has changed, um, and I'm sure it will change again. I, I just vow to always care for this above all and not depend on it financially and not make it take a back seat. I think this point in the book is when I started to put the dots together between big magic and manifestation work. It is, it is so hard to watch people who are hurting be taken advantage of by people who claim that their spirituality depends on this practice, the practice of manifestation. Because manifestation is this this co-creation with the universe. And there's nothing wrong. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to create a better life for yourself. But if your soul vow to yourself and to the universe and your spiritual practice is a demand that it get you out of a situation in a very specific manner, then it's sort of like how Gilbert talks about inspiration. It might just float out the door. I have so many stories of seeing people who are so, so, so hurt, who are clearly struggling with mental health issues, who are really, really, really hurting, and people cannot help but to regurgitate garbage in their face. Um, that is just useless. It's useless garbage. Manifestation is a wonderful practice. I, it's just like everything else, though. Crystals tarot cards, um, all of the things, which I, you know, all, all of the things, but they are not, they're all so surface level and you have to dig deeper than that. And putting the pressure on, you know, the cards or the crystals or the whatever to do everything for you, to do the inner work for you is not what's going to actually shift your life. So I am curious, what would you write your vow to? Is it something tangible like painting or teaching that you would write it to? Or is more of a like a life value. Very curious. Uh, shoot me a message. So if we write a vow to something that we're passionate about, 
we promise to always take care of it, never burdening it with the desperation of taking care of us financially, although hopefully, maybe, or maybe not, one day it will, then we have to be smart about providing for ourselves. And this is, this is such an important piece, and I think this is definitely what the differentiation is in this book from a lot of other books where a lot of other things are talking about you're going to be a millionaire and blah, blah, blah. And the reality is that it's very difficult to be a millionaire. It's very, it's very difficult to make money. The reality is that it's very hard and that if you are in a, if you're in a lower income bracket or you're facing a lot of hardships, if you are disabled, if you are in a minority, if you, there are so many things at play here. It's very, very difficult and you have to acknowledge that the reality of it is that it's it's so important and we have to be smart about providing for ourselves instead of putting all this pressure. So Gilbert makes two really good points that I want to touch on. Um, she notes that ideas like daydreaming about marrying for money or winning the lottery or even, you know, having somebody come in and fund us so that we can just create art for our entire lives. Those types of daydreams are just so demeaning. They make us seem like children. And there's, there's so much room for our inner child but that is not the time to be like a child. There's, a, there's space for your inner child, especially in the realm of creativity and especially in the realm of dreaming. But things like the scam of the lottery or the scam of codependency in just marrying somebody because they're rich. Like, why? Allow your inner child to dream up really beautiful things and unleash creativity in such beautiful ways rather than allowing your inner child to steer you in financial downfall because children don't understand the reality of money. While money is a fake concept, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. It's not really a, it's imaginary, you know, but it exists in this reality and you live in this reality. So you need to take care of yourself. But the other point that she makes is the idea that you need money. And this is kind of that concept that ties into this pressure of money and this importance of money. The idea that you need money in order to live this life of creativity and freedom and curiosity would mean that, you know, these billionaires, these millionaires, these intensely rich people would be the most creative people we've ever met. And that's, that's really not true. I mean, 
I know a lot of, you know, not very rich people, very low income people who are ridiculously creative, ridiculously smart and curious and brave. So I would really argue that that is where the money's not terribly important concept comes in. Again, there's a lot of nuance there. You need money to realistically live in the reality that we really live in. But do you need money to realistically be curious and creative and a full human being? No, I don't think so. Gilbert says specifically, creative living is not easy. A lot of people love to say, living an expansive life is so easy. It'll be so simple. But she's adamant. Creative living is not easy. And I am really glad that she's clear about this because the concept that things are just super simple, if you would just do X, Y, Z, is infuriating. People get up on stage and they give this impassioned speech of like regurgitated garbage that doesn't even mean anything. And it doesn't, it, it, it's not that simple. It is complicated. It is hard. There's a lot of plates to keep in the air, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. Call me a realistic optimist, but I do believe it's possible. Will your version be different? Yeah, totally. It's going to be different from everybody else's because your reality is different. Your circumstances are different. You're different. So great. I want your life to be different and massively creatively different. I want it to be beautiful and expansive and miraculous and magical in all the right ways that are super for you. That's a bunch of regurgitated garbage, isn't it? Bunch of buzzwords. <laughs> So, Gilbert poses the question, why even keep creating if it's so fucking difficult and doesn't make any money? And here's why. Because when we don't, we're like a dog who chews up the couch. Y'all have a dog? You dog people? You cat people. I'm a cat person, but I have a dog. And my dog chews up shoes constantly. If we are not actively creating something, we are most likely actively destroying something. And unlike dogs, we probably don't chew our shoes or the couch. We are probably destroying ourselves, our relationships, or just our own peace of mind. But the creative expression, whatever that looks like for you, and remember, that's not just art, that's not just painting or writing or what have you, that can be anything. That creative expression takes you out of that moment of whatever role you play in society. What role do you play? Parent, boss, spouse, coworker, friend. There's so many roles that we have to play in society and they are all exhausting to some extent. Even the ones that we love are exhausting to some extent. 
it gives you the space to be you outside of who you are in the burdening reality of this physical plane. Isn't that something that's just beautiful? That's big magic. Okay, just a couple more things. So whatever you've written that vow to, and it's okay if you don't know yet, you can think about it. I had to think about it. There is a good chance that you wrote it because you love it. So let's use writing as the example because Gilbert does. So you love writing. Do you believe that writing loves you back? That's a question to reflect on. I love this concept that Gilbert constantly comes back to of personifying all of these things in, in her life, inspiration, curiosity, fear, writing, all of these things as if they are fully relationships. Because so often we talk about building relationships with spirit or God or the universe, but are we really cultivating them? Are we really embodying them? Or are we just talking about them as if we have them and not really thinking about how we build them, how we act and how they act back? Are, are we building these weird codependent relationships where we expect them to do something for us without acting in return? There's so much goodness here. And I think that's why this book really resonates with me because at the end of the day, it's really built around relationships. It's built about the, around the magic of relationships and the magic around how we exist in the universe and our ability to connect with creation as if it is a relationship, because it is. So Gilbert also mentions meditation teacher Pima Chidron. I hope I'm saying that right, but I may not be. Um, but they say the biggest problem with people's meditation practice is that they quit just when things are starting to get interesting. They quit when things aren't easy anymore as soon as it's painful or boring or agitating. As soon as they see something in their minds that scares them or hurts them. So they miss the good, the wild, the transformative, the part where they push past the difficulty and enter into some raw, new, unexplored universe within yourself. This isn't just a meditation practice problem. Um, this is like an overarching problem. Um, but yes, also meditation. Um, so there's a time and a place for quitting. I've stayed in things that were no longer good for me way longer than I should have. Um, but the question that I usually ask myself or my clients is, do I want to quit? because this is affecting me negatively? Or do I want to quit because I am growing and it's uncomfortable? There's a lot of nuance to this question. Again, when we're talking about personal development, growth, spiritual growth, all of these things, especially 
when moving through trauma or into unsafe circumstances, especially what you define as safe, because I can't define what's safe for you. Only you can define what's safe for you. There is tons of nuance. But it does hold true that most spiritual growth, most of it, is is unpleasant. It involves looking at things that are not pleasant. It involves self-realization, self-awareness, self-actualization, and things that are just not not too fun. A lot of it's boring. Um, It doesn't go fast enough. You want to get to the good part. But it, it's, yeah, it's all of those things. And the last thing I want to cover in this book is Gilbert's reflection on the age-old question, which I see time and time again on motivational pages. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? Gilbert flips this on its head and instead asks, what would you do even if you knew that you might very well fail? What do you love doing so much that the words failure and success essentially become irrelevant? I cried on my couch when I read that line. It is so powerful. I am so tired of every intention, every path in life, every decision, even under the guise of being motivational or empowering women, having the implication that you must succeed or something is wrong with you. Or even the, the, the implication that you must want to succeed. The implication that you must want this glorious billionaire lifestyle or something is wrong with you. Failure and success are essentially irrelevant. Your passions have to be the most important thing in your life and essentially not matter at all because you can't define yourself by them. And that, my friends, is essentially Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. But I did cut a lot out. Um, It is a pretty sweet, easy read. It's not not too difficult. Um, So if you are a reader um, or an audiobook listener, not too too tough to get through. Overall, I would rate this book 4.7 out of 5 stars and 5 out of 5 magics. I'll put a link in the description where you can buy this book while supporting local bookshops. And that's everything I have for you today, y'all. I hope you have a beautiful day, um, a wonderful week. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please like, rate, subscribe. Share it with your friends, share it with your enemies, turn them into better people. And remember, until next time, stay mystical, note the magical, and embrace the miracles. Bye!